Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we begin, this series features remarkable stories told by remarkable people. Some of the events they discuss and some of the words they use to describe their experiences can be quite colourful. This programme contains explicit language and descriptions of an adult nature. Listener discretion is advised. The first time I was so ridiculously rubbish at at all of this sort of stuff. So I remember as we got off the bus going into the city centre, we were all arrested. So I spent the whole day in police cells um, where we were lots of singing and shouting and the whole the whole, I think all the police stations in London were just filled with little, with anarchist punks. But another time we went on it and, you know, we took over the city centre of London and there was like sound systems everywhere and dancing in the streets and, yeah, people outside the Bank of England with big flags. It was fabulous. This is Siobhan Fahey. Are you having to kind of um, cradle yourself somewhere in a room with... Um with all the like, soft furnishings around. I'm always like interested in where, where in their people's houses they have to record from when they're doing things in lockdown. In my experience, a, a lot of cushions and duvets really help the sound. <laughs> it's a bit of an oversimplification, but you can probably sort most activists into one of two groups. There's the polite, buttoned-up, moderate kind, the ones with smart shirts and neat hair, the type of activists who change perceptions by showing how, quote-unquote, normal we can be. Look, they say, we're just like you. There's nothing to worry about. Then there are the type of activists who chain themselves to things. They're loud, they're brash, and their whole point is to make people pay attention. Without these activists, most causes would get swept under the rug, politely pushed to one side so that society can just carry on as it has done for years. Acceptance doesn't happen with just one of these groups. You need both. And filmmaker Siobhan Fahey? Well, she definitely falls into the latter. When Siobhan was just a teenager, she left home in 1983, headed to London and moved in with a group of anarchist punk lesbians who proudly called themselves dykes. These women lived and loved communally. They wore leather, sometimes sporting Mohicans, flat tops or blocky buzz cuts. For Siobhan, they represented a new kind of sexuality that she'd never seen before, one which celebrated womanhood in all its forms. But as hair-raising as these rebel dykes were, they were also a minority, one that now threatens to be lost to history altogether. You're listening to Call Me Mother, a collection of conversations with queer elders. I'm Sean Fay. Each episode, I'll be talking with an LGBTQ trailblazer who has something important, interesting, or enlightening to say about what it means to be queer in the world today. By talking to older queer people, we want the stories in this series to create a sense of community across generational lines. By the end, our hope is that you have the language you need to grapple with new experiences by showing that you belong to a much broader history. 
This episode, The Lost History of London's Lesbian Punk Rebels. Talk to me about your life growing up. What was that like? I was born in the mid-60s in Liverpool. I was born in the near suburbs of the city centre south and my parents were very proudly first-generation middle class, as they used to tell us. We'd always have to tell people we were middle class. Liverpool at the time was... People forget how post-war the 60s was. There were still bombed-out buildings everywhere and raggedy gangs of kids running around the rubble. You know, I would say it was a bit in black and white, really. My great-grandmother went to bed when she was 40, and I don't know if you've ever been 40 as a woman, but really you do, 40 or 50 she was. And if about that age, you really do want to go to bed and just, like, give up. You do want to just go to bed. And I have this memory of her always with a, a bed cardigan on, and we'd, all the babies would set on her knee and she'd name them. So we have, like, a generations of absolutely beautiful Irish names, Brona and Dominic and Philomena, and beautiful, beautiful names. Yeah, so I got Siobhan. Yeah, so, so that was, yeah, named by a matriarch. I was a very proud Tom girl. That's a new invention. But I was like the best fighter from the girls. And my best friend was like the prettiest girl in the class. And my job was to be her bodyguard. But yeah, I was always climbing trees and getting into adventures. And we were mods, so we were into the jam and the selector. And I was obsessed with the who. and used to always run away from home to go to the concerts. Oh. My poor mum. Um, at one point, I ran away to Brighton because I'd seen Quadrophenia and ran, aw- ran around with the skinheads and got arrested. I mean, my poor mum. I settled down a bit after that, to be honest. And then we finally left, ran away, got chucked out at 18 and gave my parents a break for a few years. <laughs> uh... Once Siobhan got kicked out, she knew she needed somewhere new to live. Like a great many wayward teens and young adults before her, she decided to find somewhere far away from home, somewhere exciting she could settle. And she had a good idea where that place might be. With nothing more than an address scribbled on a piece of paper and her friend Louise to keep her company, she set off on her journey in search of a new start. London was like the promised land. It was like this far away place where magical things happened, like gayness and drugs I mean, I think the thing that people always forget about is this post-war thing. So London was actually still quite... Well, it was empty. Not quite empty. It was empty. There was empty ground all over the place, rubble where there was weeds growing and trees. There was a lot of empty space. But there were masses of empty houses, empty properties. People just fled from London after the war, all the middle class. So it was just left to the you know, usual groups, the recent immigrants, artists and queers. So we're walking through these streets in the crowds of London like we'd never seen before, got out of the tube, which we'd never really been on before. Two innocents from abroad. And just said to some guy, do you know where this is? And he said, yes, this is my flat. Come and move in. So we did. And we stayed with him for a couple of weeks. He was a lovely, lovely guy. And he took us to the Islington Peace Centre, which was in Islington. And that was a, a tower block that was squatted. Um, and they were having like a house meeting on the top floor. And I just remember this punk sort of coming out of the circle and opening this book, a big ledger with just lists of, of addresses on. And many of them were crossed out where people had taken them, but many of them were still open. And so he directed us to Rotherhithe, to um, a squatted housing estate there. 
what was it like living in a squad? There were so many different people there. There was, you know, some very wealthy people who amongst the squatters, a few film people, people from Eton, you know. There was also young guys who committed crimes in Northern Ireland, a couple of them, and were running away from getting kneecapped by the IRA. There was a couple of miners from the miners' strike who, you know, have nothing to do, so they came down to London and lived in the squats. There were musicians, artists, feminists. In terms of heating and water and access to utilities, like how, how would that work? Well, the squatters previously had already put in gas cookers. I think the thing you have to remember is that there was no computers in the 80s and there was no CCTV. And that made a huge difference because... We didn't necessarily have to pay for our gas and electricity. I knew people who would get the the electricity from a lamppost in the street or from next door neighbours. Or even simpler, just put some fuses on and switch it on. Um, So, yeah, it was quite accessible to get your place warm and cosy. I mean, I have to say, though, I am the least DIY person. Some of the women I did do it with did go on to become professional plumbers and electricians. Quite a lot of them, actually. So... They learnt very useful skills um, and I managed to help somehow. And I have to say, some people were just so imaginative in their sort of squat architecture. There'd be houses where they built mezzanines and often they put all the gardens together in a street. Some houses, like in Villa Road, they were knocked through from house to house. So there was real clever ways of living communally. We had like a food co-op in the old days from where we'd have like vegan food um, delivered and beans and all of that and then we'd sell them to each other at cost price. We had a cafe, a squatter's cafe, a squatter's crash. Aye, it was good fun. Did you feel liberated by that or was there times by that where you look back and you think, God, what were we doing? Yeah, we had no, I didn't have much money or prospects or or safety net really. But we had each other. We were a tribe and we were neat. I was talking about this to somebody the other day who was interviewing me about the fashion and we had this very easily identifiable tribe. There wasn't many of us, you know, the sort of punk weirdos, but we could recognise each other and be automatically safe with each other. Eventually, Siobhan left the squat in Rotherhithe in North London. She ventured south of the river and settled with a group of feminists, anarchists and lesbians living in Brixton at the southernmost tip of London's Victoria Underground line. I sort of fell for a girl, a beautiful woman who answered the door naked. The first feminist I met, I liked feminists. Yeah, it was in Brixton I started using the word lesbian and meeting other lesbians. And those days you had to make a choice. You couldn't be, you know, bisexual wasn't really an option. So, yeah, obviously I chose lesbian, obviously. And, um, yeah, hung out with the dykes. They were all like in leather and very sharp and big bikes and flat tops and very handsome and well cut. Um, women who very much know how to dress well and to look, look sharp and to feel attractive. Within a matter of weeks of arriving in Brixton, Siobhan had not just found a new home, but a new community. This was one of the first times in her life that she finally felt accepted for who she was. If you watch Siobhan's latest documentary, it's called Rebel Dykes, it's brilliant and it's available online. It's one of the few places left where you can see photos and clips of the group from back in its heyday. And my God, it is a glorious thing to behold. 
Picture a crowd of women, some wearing underwear as outerwear, in tight black skirts and heavy eyeliner. Others with close cropped hair, clad in studded leather jackets and big black boots. They jostle and joke with one another. They march and chant together. And on Tuesdays, almost every week in a dive bar in the heart of South London, they congregate together at a very special club night. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Vauxhall in the 80s had a huge fruit and veg market just behind it. Um, you wouldn't believe Vauxhall now and then. And there was this pub, and I tell you, it was so brutal. I mean, not brutalist, just brutal this concrete building where you went up some steps on the outside and there was a doorway and that was it. The name of this club night was Chain Reaction. It was a fetish club for women. There were sex shows, there was decorations. I offered to do a strip show on the first night, which is my claim to fame. There was something very special there. Some of the moments of like song and dance or laughter or shows. There was something for all of its anarchic and amateurness. There was also something incredibly cutting edge and stunning about it. Every Tuesday, the punk dykes that ran Chain Reaction would put on a plethora of weird and wonderful performances. Baby oil wrestling, strip shows, sex shows, drag cabaret, mud fights, even, on one occasion, bottles and bottles of ketchup poured onto a dancer so that she could seductively rub it into her skin, around her breasts, up her neck and down her arms. Each of these shows was designed to revel in and celebrate women's sexuality. But Chain Reaction was also about a lot more than just sex. It was also about not having to explain yourself a bit. To me, always, the thing it reminds me of most is the reinterpretation of queer, which has emerged in the past 20 years or so. To me, that's what it felt like. I mean, there was a real range of people who went. There was, like, you know, wealthy women or women with professions as well as homeless women. There was black women there and Asian women there. There were trans women there. And there were people there who later became trans men and perhaps you might say were, were, were already trans, but, but in a non-medicalised way, in that they lived their lives very much as, you know, uh, as guys, perhaps. You know, in some ways, perhaps you could say that everybody there was a bit non-binary, you know, that the, the genders were very muddled up. There was, there was never really any question of it. I think we're very, very up for the sort of self, self-defining yourself as... You know, if you said you were a lesbian or if you said you were a woman, then 
you know, who are we to disagree sort of thing. When they weren't whiling away the wee hours at this grotty but glorious club night in Vauxhall, 1980s London offered another, very different occupation to keep Siobhan and her new gang of punk dykes occupied. We were always, you know, demonstrating and having um, and, and organising against any changes in housing and fighting against any evictions. Um, we were angry about a lot of things, I guess. You know, we were 18. We were angry about a lot of things. So, you know, the planet, the climate, seriously, we were talked a lot about that. Greenham Common, the peace stuff, we really felt that we were on the edge of a nuclear war all the time. There were bombs going off in, in London and Liverpool and Ireland all the time. Apartheid was in full throttle. Um, Nelson Mandela was in prison. So every Saturday we'd be off to fight, you know, all the way up to the poll tax riots. We'd be on some demo or other. There was Clause 28. There was ACT UP. There was outrage. There were so many different organisations. There was lots of reasons to meet every Saturday. And it was great fun. That freedom you feel as an activist when the streets are your own and you've got the world is at your feet. When the rebel dyke showed up to protest, there was no missing them. They were loud, they were proud, and they didn't back down until they made their voices heard. And in many ways, it was precisely because the rebel dykes were so present, so unmissable, that many of the other protesters felt they were doing more harm to the movement than good. At one point, these rifts between the two groups grew so great that organisers would try to ban the rebel dykes from joining their marches. But when push came to shove, this rowdy group of lesbian women did have their uses. There was one story apparently <laughs> that has come from somewhere about butch lesbians being unofficially made into bodyguards for protesters against counter-protesters. Does that, is that something that flags a memory? So they had a lesbian strength march where they asked us not to ask the S&M dykes and leather dykes to not be on it. Um, and then I think they agreed for us to be on it, but only if we were right at the back. Because, you know, we were bad lesbians. But then the march was happening at the same time as a fascist march. And people became frightened that, you know, that there'd be some sort of battle with the skinheads. And so they then they changed their minds and they decided to put the SM dykes at the front to protect <laughs> protect the others. This is kind of a lesbian history that we don't hear about. Like what I'm used to encountering is like maybe lesbian history in, in Britain is um, maybe the political lesbians, the lesbian separatists, quite anti-porn, for example. And then, you know, the rebel dykes, that scene seemed so different. And yet it wasn't something I'd even heard about a couple of years ago. So I, I was wondering, actually, on that point, why it hasn't been preserved until more recently. I think it's really interesting, Sean, really interesting question. I, I wanted to record this for exactly the reason that you highlighted, that it really had been missed out. The Feminist Archive, I can't remember its exact name, that was collected in that period, was very antagonistic to our young queer dykes um, sort of rebellious community. And, and we were quite um, systematically excluded from that archive. There was this thing going on at the time when there was a, a very judgmental brand of feminism that was very excluding if they thought you were the wrong sort of lesbian. You know, you could be very, very much criticised for what they called objectifying women, i.e. So as far as I can understand, fancying women. 
we would get weren't allowed in bars or clubs if we were wearing leather jackets or chains or studs we were excluded from feminist housing women's centers wouldn't let us in the lesbian and gay center had the, the had a lesbian and gay center at the time in farringdon where they had big meetings about whether or not they'd let us in so it felt like we had to fight for every inch of space that we'd have feminist conferences and we'd been thrown out I remember people getting thrown out for having suggestive dancing I mean it was just nuts I think a lot of younger people you know the way that this the aesthetics of what it looks like to be lesbian or gay or bi you know nowadays has commercialized a lot and it has become this very fluffy um, rainbow aesthetic do you think you know that there needs to be more diversity in you know what what queer people look like as you say that sort of fluffy the turning us into sort of sexless i would say like they, they're they very happy to have us as long as we look like children presenters you know it's, it's all like fun and laughter and they like you know gay men as long as they're a bit camp and sweet you know what i mean is there anything you look at and you think oh I, you know with younger lgbtq people in london now because of the way the world's changed where you think Either they have it better than, you know, it was. they have more going on or that you actually think, oh, it's a bit of a shame that you, you don't get to access this anymore because places have shut down or because you can't squat. So my experience when I've gone back to London and put events on is that the, 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 the lesbians and the queer people I meet there are very isolated and lonely. I mean, I've had people like crying on my shoulders, envious of the community we had. I've had events where people have, you know, talked about going on Grinder to make friends. The isolation I've seen in London has been really extreme. When you've heard people say that, is there, I mean, I, you're not supposed to be a fount of all knowledge, but is there anything you've ever thought you you would advise people who say, oh, I feel really lonely? What's your kind of, what do you say to someone who expresses that to you? Get involved in political activism. There's no better way than being involved in projects and activism and volunteering and, you know, doing things to make friends and community. Yeah, that's a great advice. And I think especially post-COVID, there's going to be a lot of call for political activism. Is there a generally piece of advice you wish you'd received when you were younger? I suppose the only thing is is that you have that terrible thing in your 20s where, you know, you are actually the most beautiful you'll ever be and you spend your whole time hating your body and hating what you look like and being so awkward and and embarrassed all the time when actually, you know, it's the most wonderful period. My memory of my 20s, early 20s, when I knew all of these people was of being just painfully shy and painfully anxious and with so many hang-ups and everybody else seems so confident and so cool. And yet, when I've spoken to them, they all said exactly the same. The first thing they said, everybody has said, is, oh, I felt so... There was such terrible years. My self-esteem, I was so shy, so awkward. And and so I think the thing is, is that, that we all feel like that in our early 20s. And then when you hit your 50s, you've got all this confidence and and pride in yourself so yeah yeah don't 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 be don't be frightened you're fabulous
You've been listening to Call Me Mother, produced by Novel and supported by the Audio Content Fund. This series is presented by me, Sean Fay. It was produced and edited by Thomas Curry and Pippa Smith. Our executive producers were Max O'Brien and Sean Glynn. This episode was mixed by Joel Cox. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.